0: Hey everybody, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles and today we're going to be covering uh, the construction and evaluation exam. Uh, Before we dive into this exam, uh, obviously uh, with everything going on here in the the world uh, around uh, the coronavirus. One of the things that we've been thinking as a group or as a team here at Black Spectacles is what we can do to support you guys. So we you know the best idea we've come up with so far is to to host a, a discussion on our on our forum about you know uh you know sometimes it's good just to sort of share what what you're dealing with and hear from other people um and so um, after ARE live today we're going to host a live chat on that community uh, We just posted the link in the chat box here uh, if you want to find that uh that discussion um And uh, as soon as we hang this up, Mike and I are going to go over there um, and, uh, you know, like to sort of hear what you guys are dealing with. I know, you know, here at my house, uh, you know, with my two kids and my wife all being sort of in the same, you know, room together, that's been a a challenge itself, trying to get outside and get some exercise, trying to have sort of the same uh, somewhat good routine um, has been helpful. Um, I know some of you um, are, you know, by yourself in in an apartment um Or, with you know one or two roommates, and so everyone sort of has a different um,
1: uh,
0: a different sort of situation, so the idea was to to try to sort of share some stories and share some experiences you know in a way to maybe help help everybody so we're gonna do that afterwards in the meantime we're gonna we're gonna do this mock exam uh today um and it's gonna cover a couple of different topics in this particular test construction and evaluation. Um, Our next ARE Live uh, is is scheduled for April 23rd. We're going to cover practice management for that. Um, We'll also do a mock exam with Mike. Um, And then uh, for those of you who are new, many of you um, are current uh, subscribers, but for many of you who are new, just a little bit about what we do. Um, Black Spectacles were the first ever NCARB-approved test prep provider for all six ARE 5 divisions. So we help you prepare for the exam. We have video lectures, practice exams, flashcards, um, we're working on some new things of course we have our community um, we have an app now an ios and an android app that allows offline access um, so we provide lots of different resources to help you pass the test um and uh let's see what else um yeah one of the things we often do at this uh at this session is we uh you know we offer a, a coupon code uh, so we'll be offering that like we normally do and uh um we, we shared a uh, mock exam um for all of you uh to 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 do to complete in advance of this and so um uh we'll draw from that group one lucky winner uh we'll send you a black spectacles t-shirt um as we normally do so um to introduce mike for those of you don't know mike he's a senior lecturer at the school of the art institute of chicago as well as a founder of shed studio And he's our instructor uh, for Black Spectacles Online ARI exam prep lectures. Um, Mike, it's a pleasure to have you uh, today. You know, we usually get to do this uh, in person at our office at, uh, you know, downtown Chicago. Uh, You and I are both doing this from home. So it's good to have you. Thanks for making some time for us today.
1: You betcha. Glad to be here. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully, all is going to going to be smooth sailing from here. Um, famous last words, uh, but we'll get it uh, We'll get it right. And apologies about uh, background sounds of furnaces kicking on, dogs barking, my wife talking <laughs> on a conference call upstairs, all of that stuff. So uh, we'll do our best here. Uh, so I'm just going to jump in then if that's okay, Mark.
0: Yeah, sounds great, hit it.
1: All right, uh, so as Mark said, we're talking about construction and evaluation. Uh, so construction and evaluation, just a reminder for everybody, There's uh, these six tests. The first two are practice management and project management. And then the next four are kind of sequential through a project. And in uh, this particular situation, this is the fourth of those four in sequence. So this is really the sort of question about what's the architect's role during construction what's the architect's role during the construction phase of the project maybe a little bit earlier than that like kind of the bidding phase as well kind of the discussions about how you're going to bid something all the way through to choosing a, a, a bidder who becomes the general contractor and then through the construction phase so we're just going to sort of talk about a few different uh, topics uh using some questions as a way to kind of get to a few issues we'll try to kind of breeze through things pretty quickly but um One of the one of the things to mention here is uh, that, you know, I write these partly as, uh, you know, some of them are to mimic real questions, but some of them are really just a way to kind of get you to think about things in a certain way. Uh, so don't be uh, freaked out if uh, a question seems a little awkward or uh, something. I probably did that in order to kind of make a point. Um, So if you didn't get all the questions right, uh, don't fret about it. It's uh, it's not a great uh, example of that. It's really a, a series of discussion tools. Uh, so uh, let's dive right in, if that's okay. And uh, we're going to go to our first one. So our first question is, uh, well, our statement, I guess, is a performance bond is dot dot dot. And then we have a couple of possible answers: uh, a system for raising specific limited taxes for a specific governmental funded project. Uh, B, uh, an insurance policy for an owner regarding whether the GC will fill their bid, C, a masonry system for high wind locations, Uh, D, a contractual add-in to incentivize finishing the schedule quickly. Um, So the the concept here is uh, I'm I'm sort of toying with you about the word bond, uh, because, for example, C, masonry, you know, bond fits to masonry. There's you know, the English bond, the running bond, the common bond, all those different ways of thinking about the pattern of masonry. but that's not what a performance bond is. So it's not C. Uh, and uh, A, a system for raising specific limited taxes. Uh, that is actually another term for bond. Uh, you t- people will talk about raising a bond for uh, raising money for, say, putting in a high school or a library or government building or something. It is a form of tax. Uh, it's a sort of specific local tax system uh, that has a limited time period. Unlike a regular tax, which is something that goes on indefinitely, a bond is a tax that goes for a limited period of time to raise money for a specific project. So that's another use of the word bond, but that's not what a performance bond is. Uh, and then uh, D, the contractual add-in to incentivize finishing the project quickly. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, performance words that get used in in parts of those those contracts where you can say, yes, if you get the uh, project done by April, then uh, there'll be uh, an extra amount of money or maybe there'll be a uh, penalization if you don't get the project done by. So performance, that word gets used in contracts quite often. Um, But in terms of the combination of performance and bond together, performance bond, uh, the actual answer is B, uh, it's an insurance policy for an owner regarding whether the GC will fulfill the bid. So it's kind of an, a weird uh, thing. So bond in this case is actually talking about a surety, uh, uh, an underwriter, essentially an insurance company who will uh, stand up and say, "Yes, uh, we believe that this GC will be able to fulfill their bid." Uh, so. Uh, It's uh, an insurance company saying that the GC is not likely to skedaddle in the middle of construction, uh, because let's say you get 50% through construction, and then for whatever reason, the the GC uh, is unable to fulfill uh, the project. Uh, You know, they uh, go out of business or somebody uh, gets divorced and just gets weird and doesn't return calls or, you know, whatever. Uh, um, And, you know, some weird thing goes wrong. Uh, For If you're already 50% of the way through, you can imagine it would cost way more than the 50% left in order to get a new contractor to come in and finish up. And so the performance bond is sort of to cover the owner in that case uh, so that uh, if something weird did happen, then the insurance company would pay that extra amount of money uh, in order to mobilize a new contractor. And so it's kind of an interesting one because uh, it's technically an insurance for the owner, but it's actually about the GC. And so the GCs are the ones who are going to have the connections with uh, the sureties, with the underwriters, uh, because they need to be able to demonstrate and uh, say, yes, we're we're not going to uh, run away. We're not going to suddenly disappear. You know, we're going concerned it's going to fulfill uh, this this project. And so they get to know their insurance companies and therefore the insurance companies are willing to uh, put a performance bond up for them for a reasonable price. So uh, it's a kind of odd thing that essentially the GCs get the performance bond, but then the owners pay for it. And often if the owners don't have a lot of cash sitting around because Usually you don't, usually you're getting a bank loan to fund a project. Uh, so what they'll do is the GCs will actually just put it right into the line items along with overhead and profit and all the different plumbers and electricians and all of that, uh, They'll that spreadsheet that has uh, all of those pieces of information, often one of those lines will be performance bond. And so they'll actually secure the performance bond, but then the owner pays through pays for it in the same way that they pay for everything else by uh, it going through that uh, that monthly payout system. So performance bonds, very un- unusual idea of insurance, and it's kind of an interesting couple of words. Uh, it's an easy one because it's uh, so specific and limited. It's an easy one to imagine getting a question about. So hopefully that made sense and uh, you did okay on that one. Let's uh, Let's jump to the next one. Okay, this is kind of a wordy one, but the project has become contentious. The owner and the GC are often at odds about quality and cost issues. Due to some unexpected changes required by the local health officials, two more hand washing sinks are required to be added into the commercial kitchen. The GC proposes a change order for $120,000. The architect says to the owner, wow, man, that seems like a lot of money for two sinks. Uh, you know, from our research, maybe it should be closer to $10,000. So you know, in that situation, it's clear that the, uh, at least the architect thinks that the GC is just trying to uh, jam the situation in order to, to get some extra money in. Maybe they lost money on some other part and they're trying to balance it out or something by making this change order, uh, sort of an exorbitant, uh, amount of money. After some negotiations, the GC says that they will not lower the cost on the change order. What should the architect do? So we have a couple different options here. A, Take the project into mediation or arbitration, depending on the contract. uh, A process that will have a third party make the decision uh, of what the change order cost should actually be. B, uh, if you need to do the work, sign the change order and get it going. Uh, And then presumably there will be a time later in the project when you can win back some of the extra cost. Uh, C, the architect should claim a construction change directive, uh, which will essentially tell a GC to do the work anyway. Uh, and then D, the architect should help the owner hire a new contractor to add the two sinks under a separate contract. Uh, D is certainly a possibility. You could do it that way. It's not a great way to do it, though, because it starts confusing uh, uh, site responsibility. Uh, and it's also probably fairly expensive to have a different Contractor suddenly have to mobilize on a job site, especially when there's another contractor there. So D is certainly possible. It's plausible, but not a great answer. Um, uh, B is kind of a fun one. I like the idea of like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take our uh, our lumps now, but we're gonna get you later. Um, yeah, you know, B is just not the way to go. Uh, you never want to uh, do something with the intention of kind of falsely claiming uh, financial aspects later to kind of balance things out. That's just not how uh, projects should work. So it's definitely not B and definitely not D. Uh, And then A and C are kind of interesting. Let's take a look at A. Take the project into mediation, uh, a process that will have the third party uh, make the decision. Essentially, that is correct but it's not the correct answer for the question and the reason is that c is actually the correct answer here uh, let's see if i get that going uh, and what what c is saying is that the architect should claim a construction change directive uh, which is essentially a version of a change order where the uh contractor has not uh, agreed to it or or the owner has not agreed to it, whatever. Somebody has not agreed to the change order. Typical change order, the architect signs it, the contractor signs it, and the owner signs it. All three parties sign the change order to say that we're all agreed that this is how the contract will get changed. A construction change directive is one that says, look, we understand that there's not an agreement on this, but we're saying, go ahead anyway. And then when we do that, we will eventually, somewhere down the road, Go into mediation or arbitration or whatever system is in the contract to decide is this the right choice? Is you know wh- what was the right amount of money uh, that this really should have been? And the reason that you do this concept instead of instead of A being the correct answer and C is the correct answer is if you actually are in the middle of a project and you just say all right we're going to stop everything and we're going to go to mediation or to arbitration, well you know arbitration might take you know, three months to, you know, line it all up, get the people involved, get the official paperwork done, go through the process. It might even take longer than that if it's a complicated situation. A couple of sinks is probably pretty simple, but you can imagine situations which would be much more complicated. And so the idea that you're just gonna stop a project, you know, like what are all those subcontractors gonna do? They're all gonna go get other projects. And so once you're ready to start back up, it's gonna take forever to pull all that team back onto the project. You just can't stop a project like that and expect it to go smoothly. Uh, and so the concept of the construction change directive is to say, look, we understand we're not in agreement, but we're going to keep pushing forward. We are going to go into mediation or arbitration or whatever it is, but we're going to do that afterwards. And knowing that we're all in agreement that whatever that comes through is, is the answer. So if you go into arbitration or mediation or whatever, and the arbitrators say, you know yeah like you just didn't understand it is actually you know a reasonable cost of 120,000. well then the owner is going to have to pay that 120,000. but if the arbitrators say look you know gc you're you were just you know pushing for money this is not reasonable you know maybe it's not ten thousand dollars but maybe it's you know twenty thousand or something well then that would be the number so it's a way of just putting off that arbitration or mediation or litigation process uh, down the road, but getting to the actual uh, work so that you can actually keep the flow of a project going forward. That's a, a definite good one to kind of have in in the background of your mind, because uh, change orders are absolutely something that will likely show up not only on this exam, but also on the project management exam and, and some of those others. Um, but change orders absolutely going to show up, and this is a way of sort of Making a more unusual question about change orders, it's quite likely to get something about a construction change directive. All right, let's move on. That's
0: a good one, Mike. Hey, one note for everybody here. Uh, It sounds like one of the. um, uh, It sounds like some of you got um, the uh, mock exam from when we uh, did a uh, construction and evaluation mock exam in 2019. Uh, Some of those of you who clicked that link. Uh, that was in our sort of auto responder email that you got, uh, and if you're wondering, boy, these questions don't look like the ones that I answered. That's because that's from last year's uh, CNE ARE Live. Many of you, in separate emails, got the correct one. Um, we see a lot of you have have answered that. So one of the things we're doing right now is we're posting a link to last year's ARE Live on this specific topic, and that ARE Live, which we've already recorded last year, um, is of actually uh, it relates to the questions we asked last year. So uh, actually what's kind of nice, even if you answered the ones from last year, now you have basically two mock exams you can kind of review for the, same, uh, for the same thing. So I'm gonna ask my team here if they can post that ARE live in the chat here in the next uh, couple of minutes uh, with that, Michael, right ahead.
1: Cool, uh, yeah, that, that was probably a little confusing for a few people, um, I can imagine. All right, number three, uh, does the architect have responsibility for job site safety at the construction site? Um, so I'm going to just tell you right up front, uh, this is a bit of a trick question. Uh, and in fact, I actually stole uh, this question. It's not the exact same wording, but it's pretty similar wording to an old NCARB question from their old uh, mock exams um, back, uh, I think, maybe 10 years ago. Um, and I, I use this one specifically because it makes a very specific point about um uh kind of how to look at these these issues uh, so uh, again it's a bit of a trick question apologies if you uh, attempted it and didn't get it right uh and but uh here you go okay so does the architect have responsibility for job site safety at the construction site a job site uh, safety is the sole responsibility of the gc b job site safety is the responsibility of each individual subcontractor C, the architect is responsible for design intent and therefore in the decision making that went into the design process, but not the actual site considerations. And D, it depends on what was said by the architect on the site. So the answer A is certainly a reasonable answer that job site safety is the sole responsibility of the GC. That is absolutely true from the contractual standpoint. However, the actual answer is D. And the reason that D is the correct answer is because if you, as the architect, walk onto a job site for one of the job site meetings for maybe a payout meeting or something, and you walk around and you look at something and you say, wow, this really should have a a safety railing here during the construction. What you've just done is you've technically taken over the uh, job site safety on that, uh, that project. Um, And that not only if somebody falls off of that ledge because there wasn't a safety rail, um, not only would would you be sort of taking that as a responsibility, but the sheer fact that you asked, that that you said that, and that you then took over, even though it doesn't seem like you're taking over, you actually technically are taking over the job site safety. Even if something happens, say, two months later in a different location, it would be plausible that a gc could say look yeah this thing happened this dangerous uh, moment happened uh, but it's not our fault because a few months ago the architect uh, essentially took over job site safety uh, when they were talking about this thing so it's really their issue and their insurance company should pay for this not our issue and our insurance company Um, now that sounds sort of ridiculous that just by making one comment uh, you can actually, that can happen, but it's actually quite true. There's there's a number of really uh, famous uh, case law examples where that was the case. Litigation is complicated and you, know, you never quite know uh, what's going to happen in terms of uh, how a judge or a jury or somebody, uh, arbitrators or mediators are going to hear that information. And it may be that one of those things where a judge just says, oh, look, they, you know, some intern for the architect's office was walking around a job site and said something that wasn't quite right. Really, you're going to, you know, assign all of the job site safety to them because of that? Like that's just absurd. And they won't necessarily take that as a as a sort of litigation response. But there is ex- there are examples of um, uh, where architects have uh, unknowingly taken on that responsibility uh, by just making a few comments. And so it's something that's very dear to the heart of AIA and NCARB to make sure you understand that you have, uh, that there are uh, important aspects uh, to what you say on a job site uh, that are both about job site safety, maybe about scheduling. Uh, You know, another example is you never say stop uh, on a, a, a job site. You never, if the painters are painting the wrong color. You never walk up to the painters and say, hey, stop painting. Uh, you might go to the GC and say, hey, looks to me like the painters are painting the wrong painting the wrong color. Uh, you know, what's going on? And then it's up to the GC to tell the painters to stop. And that's really important because you don't want to start taking responsibility for the schedule because like job site safety, that's a responsibility of the GC. Uh, and so by just telling somebody to stop, if there are penalties, if people get laid or anything, suddenly you could be responsible for the penalties if the project isn't done on time. Um, so uh, this is uh, an important concept that there are things uh, that you should and should not say. Now, this does not mean, uh, you know, because the world is complicated and there are gonna be times when you're gonna be on a job site, and you're gonna think, wow, somebody should really say something about this. You just have to be careful about how you say it and you have to be think about who you're saying it to. Uh, and so, uh, like I said, AIA and NCAR both feel very strongly about this issue. Uh, it's a, an important sort of contractual aspect of things, especially during the construction phase of a project. So you want to uh, really take to heart uh, that uh, this concept of, that they built into this question that I stole, uh, which is, uh, yeah, there are rules, but you can um, mess up those rules if you are accidentally saying the wrong things so a bit of a trick question there but uh, hopefully that uh, that makes sense okay on to the next uh what is retainage uh a the amount of material set aside uh, for use elsewhere on a job site during the excavation for the foundations Uh, the area for stormwater to flow so it does not uh, supercharge the stormwater drainage pipe system, Uh, a small portion of the payout to a subcontractor that is held in escrow to encourage final finishing, Uh, or D, the amount of money that a developer must set aside to cover costs to the local government for infrastructure like roads, utilities, and even schools. Um, Okay, so one of the things you'll notice like a lot of these kinds of questions, so all of the answers will be sort of plausible, uh, or at least some of the answers will be sort of plausible. Uh, one of the tricky things about uh, doing the ARE is that it's not a question of whether the answer is correct, it's which answer is the most correct. Uh, and so all of these will use uh, versions of retaining or uh, uh, you know, different, different ways of thinking about the idea of retaining something. Um, but the actual answer for when you phrase it as retainage, uh, that answer is actually C, a small portion of the uh, payout to a subcontractor, which is held in escrow. If you don't know what escrow is, you can look it up, but it's it essentially just means like a special bank account that holds the money aside uh, so that... Uh, it's not in the owner's uh, money it's not in the gc's money it's not in the subs money it's being held specially off to the side uh waiting to be uh, uh distributed um so the, the concept here of retainage is that uh, as you're going along uh, uh through a project uh let's say a plumber is a uh, hundred grand uh into the project uh and they still have another you know bunch of money on their on their contract uh if you are paying them uh, for that month's worth of work, and you're paying them the 100000 uh, your the paperwork goes through as $100,000, but uh, if you are including retainage, not all projects rec- include this. Some small projects don't need to, some big projects do it in other ways. There's, there's a bunch of different ways you can, you can do this, but uh, a kind of classic project would probably have retainage. Uh, And in that situation, the paperwork will say, yes, we're paying that plumber $100,000 for this month's worth of work. But in fact, what you're actually paying them is, say, $90,000 and then $10,000 of retainage goes into the special account. Uh, And then what that does is when you get to the end of the project and, you know, the... uh, pipe is leaking a little bit or the faucet's not square to the sink and you need a a few little you know punch list items need to be need to be fixed and so maybe there's like I don't say a thousand dollars worth of work that they need to come in and and finish off uh, before the project can be done Um, it's really hard to get the plumbers to come back and do that or the painters or the carpenters or whoever. Um, and it's not because they're bad people or they're mean-spirited or anything. They've just moved on to other projects. It's very hard to prioritize when you've got a brand new project and you're, you know, kind of rolling away on that one. It's very hard to prioritize to come back and do some like little fix-it stuff at the end. But if you have a thousand dollars of work to do and uh, of your uh, $200,000 contract, you've got twenty. 20 grand sitting uh, in this escrow account, just waiting for you to do that thousand dollars worth of work. Well, that's a big incentive for you to come in and get that work done. Uh, so uh, the retainage is just a way to kind of encourage uh, everybody to finish the work uh, and then they'll get the final payout uh, at the end. You don't always wait till the very end. Sometimes like a, somebody like a concrete contractor who does all their work in the very, very beginning if you have a project that's a two year project, it's not really reasonable to hold on to uh, their, a bunch of their money all the way into the end when they did the work two years ago. So there might be a couple of mid process milestones where you pay out uh, the retainage up to that point. Um, but the, the concept is uh, that you have money set aside so that it encourages people to be able to, uh, subcontractors specifically, to be able to come back and finish projects uh, in, in a timely manner. Uh, manner in the at the end of a project um, so again using uh, words with, that can have multiple meanings but there's a specific version of it when you talk about retainage
0: like, i'll let you keep going there we do have some good questions come along here we'll come back to them uh, as we uh, as we move on, when we get to the end
1: yeah, and by the way, on the retainage, I, I use the example at 10%, sometimes it's 5%, sometimes it's 2%. Uh depends on the scale of the project. Uh, most of the projects I've worked on, they just do 10%. I think it's sort of the standard, although maybe for bigger projects it's smaller, I'm not really sure. Okay, number five, uh, which of the following project delivery methods will require the most carefully controlled communication systems by the architect during the construction phase? A, design build, B, design bid build, C, multiple prime, D, construction manager at risk. So, you know, there's a a, kind of a baseline. I just mentioned the idea that, you know, um, some answers will be correct, but not the most correct. Well, clearly all of these are, uh, you know, reasonable project delivery systems. And you would want to, as the architect, be pretty carefully controlled about your communication systems with, anybody you know through any of these different project delivery systems but the one that really jumps out at you uh, would be the multiple prime and the reason for that is that what multiple prime means if you if you don't know the term uh is that instead of having one general contractor uh multiple prime is where you would have multiple general contractors But because it's not a general contractor, because there's more than one, so you can't call one the general uh, because you have multiples of them, uh, you would call them prime contractors. So it doesn't mean that you have multiple subcontractors like an individual plumber, say, or something like that. It means that you have like, like a general contractor, the general contractor has multiple subs underneath their heading. So with multiple primes, that means I have multiple prime contractors who each have multiple subs underneath their heading. So an example of this might be a university doing a laboratory building and maybe the shell and core of the building is done by one prime contractor and the interior lab portion uh, is done by a specialist uh, that knows more about that kind of thing and they have their own subs and that's done by a separate prime contractor. Uh, another example might be that you wanna really work with one GC, but they're just not big enough to be able to do a whole project. Uh, and so you hire a couple of them. And so maybe one does uh, you know, uh, one building on a campus and another one does another building on a campus, but uh, it's all part of one project. Um, so you would have a contract that would be a multiple prime contract. So uh, the, the reason that that's the answer in this situation is you can very quickly, once you start thinking about it, you can very quickly come up with all sorts of scenarios where like that first example of the university building for a lab building, uh, the shell and core versus the interiors of the lab. Well, where does the shell end and the interior start? Uh, And if you're not super careful about uh, who's doing what, you can very quickly get into a situation where right in the middle of construction, there's one contractor saying, well, you know, hey, the drywall is part of the interior of the, of the construction. That's, you know, we're doing the shell, we're not doing the drywall. Uh, and then the interior people are saying, well, what are you talking about? The shell includes the whole uh, wall assembly. And that would be from the outside brick all the way into uh, the drywall. We didn't include it in our bid, uh, you know, we're just doing the paint on and the, you know, all the, all the furnishings and everything on the inside for the lab. So, you know, you can imagine lots of examples like that where there's this slippage of when you have multiple contractors of who's doing what. Now, in a typical GC situation, you might have that kind of slippage between different subs, but then that's up to the GC to figure out. Like they have to make sure that each of their subs is, you know, that that everything is taken care of in the whole thing, and that's their issue. Uh, But now when you have multiple primes, that's no longer in their, like it's now part of your communication system and the ownership, uh, how they are communicating with the multiple uh, primes as well. So uh, this is one of those examples where uh, the, speci- the, the specific specific aspects of what a multiple prime is, like the first thing you should think about when you see multiple uh, contractors on a project is, oh my God, how are we going to make this? Uh, work in terms of a communication system like do we have to have multiple drawing sets one for each do we have to have uh, meetings with both sets of contractors at regular intervals like what's the communication system going to be in order to make this uh, what would be otherwise a pretty complicated situation as simple as possible where everybody actually knows what is there in their responsibilities so multiple prime C All right, you had uh, questions for me?
0: Yeah, give me a second here, Mike. Do you have one more to go here? Nope, that's it. Beautiful. Um, So let's see here. One of the questions I had from you. um, Give me one second here, Mike. I'm trying to pick, uh, pick, pick one out here. I think this is a good one is from Evan. He says, does noting a job safety on a field report still leave one open to scrutiny from a job site safety standpoint? I think that's an interesting one.
1: That's a really, really good question. Great, great question. Um, uh, the, the answer is kind of like the way the, the, the example question here is it depends on how you worded it. Um, it's completely reasonable for you to have opinions um, and to be informing uh, the ownership of what's going on on a job site. Uh, and that is totally expected and uh, in fact, what you should be doing. However, what you shouldn't be doing is saying in that write-up, you should do X, like you should put uh, you know, uh, uh, a safety rail up, or you should uh, not start that part of the process, uh, you know, excavating over there until you're done with this part of the process. You, like, you can't be in a position where you're telling the GC how to operate. Um, you can be saying something, uh, I'd I, I want to think more carefully about how to actually word this, but uh, you, you, it's reasonable to say uh, there are job site, consider, job site safety considerations, uh, r- you know, regarding these kinds of issues, um, where you're just noting them, but you're not uh, telling somebody what to do. So yeah, it's a great question. Uh, remember, your role uh, as as part of the architecture team uh, is about design intent, right? So you're there to have ideas and to uh, make those ideas clear. Those ideas have to do with uh, code compliance, have to do with uh, you know meeting budgets, it has to do with meeting the program, all of those things. And then it's contractors to take those a kind of decisions there are decisions and materials the building should be made out of those decisions that you've made and now they make it manifest so they have the responsibility for the like physically making that thing so the schedule the process what happens first what happens second uh, the safety and all those kinds of things that go on there that's their job and you just don't want to be telling them their job uh, it's okay though in fact encouraged for you to be helping the process so noting you know uh, potential issues is not a bad thing you just can't tell tell the gc what to do in that case because by doing that you've then taken that responsibility great question i wish i had put that in as a as part of the question
0: (laughs) mike um uh one of the questions going back to construction change directive uh, was from Claire. She said, uh, you know, I thought that the construction change directive shouldn't affect any cost of the work. Can you comment about that?
1: Um, it can be for schedule. It can be for cost. It can be for a whole bunch of different uh, things. Um, uh, the ones that I've been involved in did include costs. So um, my understanding is that it does, in fact, include cost. I, I'll check that out to make sure I'm right about that. But uh, I've actually been through it before, and when we did it, it was about cost.
0: Got it. Um, let's see if there's another good one here. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one. If the, what if the arch, what happens if the architect? This is from Claudia. What happens if the architect during a site visit witnesses an accident? What should the
1: architect do? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> run away? No, 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 not that. <laughs> You know, it's a that's an interesting thing. Um, uh, you know, you have a very sort of intriguing role in that in that case. Uh, in that you have a special standing in the sort of various contractual relationships. Um, so, you know, your you being a witness to an accident is potentially quite meaningful. Um, remember that as an architect, you have uh, um, responsibilities beyond uh, what a normal person has. Um, I know that sounds a little odd, but as a professional, uh, you know, you are there to look out for the health, safety, and welfare of the public. Um, And so that means that, uh, you know, some random person walking by who sees something uh, doesn't have the same uh, level of responsibility as the architect would in that case because you as a professional automatically by sheer fact that you're a professional um, have uh, pledged to protect uh, the health safety and welfare of the public. Um, but uh, having said all of that, frankly, it really probably doesn't matter that much because if there's a, an accident, uh, the accident will play out the way that any accident would. Um, which is, uh, you know, somebody will be informed if, uh, you know, ambulance has to be called, it's one thing, or if something just gets damaged, it's another thing. Um, uh, that uh, the GC will have to then go through the normal process of saying, you know, yes, here's a problem and this is what happened and, and uh, you know, by happenstance, the architect was there and they saw it happen. Um, but really, uh, that's all for them to work out. It's just that because you are an architect and in that situation, you may have some special responsibility in terms of uh, helping uh, write up what happened on the accident or explaining the accident to the owner uh, because part of your job is to keep the owner uh, informed about what's going on on the job site. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting question, but it would really depend on the specificities of uh, what the accident was, about whether the architect would really even get involved in at all uh, regarding it.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Mike. I think that's a good uh, spot to to land it. Um as I mentioned to you guys, uh as soon as I, I have a couple things to say here and then we're gonna hop over to the community. We've posted this link uh in the chat box about, you know, how folks are um uh let's say accommodating or, or dealing with the sort of this new situation of, of most of us working from home and kind of being confined. Um so we're gonna we're gonna do that uh as soon as we finish here. Um to let you know about our next ARE live pod, uh podcast, we're gonna Review the practice management uh, exam. We're going to do a mock exam just like we did. Um, that link to register is also in the uh, in the chat box, so you can go over there and register right away. So you'll get notifications. Uh, w- uh, as I noted to you guys, some of you got uh, a link to the old um, uh, construction and evaluation mock exam. So that link is still live. Um, and if you go to the uh, if you go to our ARE live page you'll find that uh, that older um, Construction and Evaluation podcast, we've recorded it and made it available to you. So uh, you know, basically by tomorrow, when we're done producing this episode, you'll actually have two of them that you can review, two mock exams, and then two episodes that you can listen in, uh, which might be kind of helpful. For those of you that are new to Black Spectacles and tuned in a little late, um, we basically do test prep uh, for the ARE 5.0, and that means we have practice exams, Flashcards, video lectures. Uh, we have an online community. We have an app. Um, basically, all the resources that you need to prepare for the ARE. Um, so you can go to blackspectacles.com to learn more about that. Um, we also offer firm memberships, uh, so firms can provide access to their uh, to their staff. Um, as I mentioned, we often uh, give out a, a, a coupon code. So for those of you that are sticking with it and uh, who want to, you know, uh, continue on the path of studying here, uh, we do have a coupon coupon code, which is CE. 31920 T C which gets you fifteen percent off the entire duration of your ARE exam prep membership. Uh as I mentioned we did a um, um did a giveaway today um and so our winner for the free t-shirt is Yunhai Kong. Uh she won uh, a free t-shirt today uh for uh you know for for answering our uh, our mock exam. So congratulations to you. We'll send that uh your way. We'll reach out via email um and then finally tomorrow i will email you a follow up b- about today's uh live broadcast so please let us know what you think and share any suggestions that you may have uh, we do read everything that you guys uh send in and, and use that to tune our next episodes and so now I, as i mentioned uh, mike and i are going to hop over to the community um and we're going to you know kind of kick off this conversation about uh dealing with uh with uh life uh, in the, the world of the coronavirus so i'll see you guys over there uh mike mike thanks again and uh uh, we'll catch you guys soon.